and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Well, welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. This is a podcast in which we interview expert leaders around the country on best practices for healing our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Today, I want to extend a very warm welcome to my esteemed colleagues, Bruce Cummings and Paul Deschant. Really quick, I'm going to do some background introduction. Bruce is a thought leader, a strategist, and a change agent. He has been a successful hospital healthcare system CEO for over 26 years, an innovative health services executive for 40 years, and the chair of two state hospital associations boards of directors. He began his career leading the successful integration of the Chelsea Health Center at age 26, and then he became the first full-time director of health for the city of Danbury, Connecticut. He was the youngest public health officer in the United States at the time. During his many leadership roles in healthcare, Bruce successfully implemented many multi-year initiatives combining the early robust adoption of lean techniques and high reliability principles and practices to improve patient and workplace safety, environmental stewardship, while reducing the cost of care and employee turnover. The past several years, Bruce has been consulting nationally on healthcare well-being and has joined Paul Deschamps in forming their consulting firm, Organizational Wellbeing Solutions. And now I want to I want to recognize and welcome Paul Deshaunt, and many of you know him from previous podcasts. Paul is an internationally recognized expert on clinician burnout. He speaks from the unique combined experience as a family physician, medical group CEO, and consultant to C-level leaders on reducing burnout while building the bottom line. He co-authored Preventing Physician Burnout, and you can actually see the book in his background, which is a great book I recommend. Um, he is also a national consultant on healthcare organization well-being, and he has been consulting with Bruce for the past several years. So today, I want to welcome you both. Thank you so much for being here, and we would love to hear more about your new organization. Great. Well, Katie, thanks for two things. First of all, for asking us and having us on, and second, for the very generous um, introductions. I think I learned more about Bruce than I didn't know before. Oh. So. <laughs> Well, you both are so seasoned and, and wise and you have so much experience, so I'm grateful to have you both together on the podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. and so what we've done in the after working together for a number of years with other consulting groups, uh, we've actually formed a, a unit together ourselves. Uh, it's an LLC. The name is Organizational Wellbeing Solutions, and we chose that name because we see uh, burnout not as a problem of lack of resilience for the individual, but the real challenge in burnout is the workplace and the way the workplace has, has changed to the point where the work itself is almost undoable with all the multiple challenges that have come in over the past few years. And so we, we really need to change organizations if we're gonna address this problem effectively. Um, and just one more thing briefly, and then I'll let Bruce jump in. This, you know, we focus a lot on burnout and yes, it's important and it has, definite, you know, serious impact on people. Uh, but it's more than just burnout. Burnout is really the underlying, one of the underlying factors 
that's making it so hard to run a healthcare organization these days. And so while years ago, we focused really just on burnout for doctors and then burnout for doctors and nurses, we now know that the executives are seeing burnout at the same rates as physicians and nurses are. So we come to this with a level of empathy for the C-suite, recognizing that their jobs become undoable as well. I'll I'll hand it over to Bruce to say some more. Oh, uh, that's a great summary, Paul. And I think uh, one of the things that brought us together is a shared belief, as Paul said, that the problem is not uh, a lack of resilience on the part of clinicians. It's uh, structural and process issues in the work environment itself. And uh, part of what animates us is that Too often we see healthcare organizations, uh, the good news is that everyone is keenly aware that burnout is a major national problem. It's endemic, it's affecting every organization. As Paul said, the rates of burnout now for healthcare executives are uh, are nearly equal to those of physicians. Um, But what we see too often happening is that healthcare organizations, although they recognize the problem, uh, are quick to focus on you know, resilience or wellness services, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, you know, providing as expanded fringe benefits with things like yoga or meditation or literature and medicine groups. Recharge rooms is a is a growing uh, phenomenon in many hospitals. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. The, the, the issue we have is that they really, they treat burnout. Uh, there, there may be a palliative benefit, but it doesn't cure, doesn't speak to the underlying causes of that burnout, which really reside in also the nature of the work itself or of the, of the workplace more specifically. So what we're trying to do is is bring greater awareness about the role of leaders and of leadership practices addressing burnout. Less uh, and not wrong to think about uh, providing supportive services to staff, but rather we really want to focus on how can leaders change the work environment so that burnout really doesn't arise with the severity and frequency that it does today. Yeah, I could, if I can take a minute to build on that a little more, because Bruce, you're absolutely right. You know, we think of the resilience. We we do think of how to approach burnout from the standpoint of the the Stanford Professional Fulfillment Model, with the three components of personal resilience, practice efficiency, and culture of wellness. And the the personal resilience component is absolutely vital because th- this is a challenge, and people are damaged by this and they need ways to recover, but it's also absolutely insufficient because it's not addressing the underlying root causes. And even if we, even if everything was perfect with practice efficiency in the culture, we still deal with very heavy, you know, personal issues that you know, patients are deeply impacted. So we'll always need some support for resilience. And eight years ago, that, that was where most of burnout work focused was on the resilience. In the last few years, we've seen a lot more focus on practice efficiency, although, and, and that's really where the clinicians, that's what doctors and nurses care about. 
is how can, how can I spend my time, the majority of my time, doing the work that's most meaningful to me and that my patients are looking for? And that's, we, right now, we spend about a third of our time on that, and two-thirds of our time is caught up in administrative typing data in, into the EHR, fighting over prior auths, dealing with patients that no longer trust science, things like that. You know, if we could flip the ratio of one-third meaningful to two-thirds wasteful administrivia and make it two-thirds meaningful and only one-third on the administrivia, imagine the potential that is there to actually improve quality, safety, patient experience, accents, finances, uh, all of it, as well as improving the experience for the clinicians. Mm -hmm. And there's been more work on that recently, and there's a lot of great things coming out. Even today, there was just an article in the New York Times about AI uh, being used as a scribe, you know, and the, when it's actually implemented well, it makes a dramatic improvement in clinicians' lives. Mm -hmm. um, but we still don't see as much effort being put into that as there should be. And, and as much as if the health systems were to invest in it deeply, they could realize an, a significant ROI. Mm -hmm. And we think the reason for that is actually the third issue, which is the culture of wellness or the leadership approach. And, and there, leaders are still struggling, we think, to figure this out, to understand it well, and to realize their role that they have in making a difference here. Uh, because they're the ones who have the ability to, they, in the C-suite, the decisions are made about budget, about strategy, about staffing, um, you know, about uh, capital equipment. You know, all those things have a direct impact on practice efficiency. And Yet um, leaders need to better understand what's actually going on in the operations of their care that they're delivering. Uh, too many leaders either never worked clinically or had worked clinically and, and have gotten disconnected from that clinical work. And so it makes it harder for them to make good decisions about how best to support their clinicians and really drive that efficiency. Mm -hmm. So that, that's where we're coming from is that's the area we see least attention being paid to and yet has the most potential to really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul, I'm really glad that you went into that and explained some of the reasons behind, you know, why we're not seeing those system changes as rapidly as we would like to in healthcare. And I'm curious to see what both of you have planned in, in terms of how you approach hospital leadership and get them more engaged in some systemic changes for well-being. Paul, this might be a good opportunity to um, uh, kind of quickly recount the, the six drivers of burnout. And uh, and the reason for suggesting that you, you do that is um, I'll, when you're done, I'll, I want to speak to where I see leadership particularly relevant in relation to those six. Sure. So I've had the good pleasure, really good fortune to get to know Christina Maslach personally. And, and she, you know, as you know, with her colleague, Michael Leiter, uh, identified the three dimensions of burnout, the exhaustion, cynicism, and sense of inefficacy. Mm -hmm. And together, they also identified that six drivers that they were able to identify actually drive these manifestations. The first being work overload driving that exhaustion. But, and that's what most people think burnout is, that's what we're dealing with. In reality, there's five other drivers and those drive cynicism, but they start with a lack of control. 
uh, which is an important issue for all of us in our lives and particularly for doctors and nurses to have control when we need it. Uh, next is insufficient reward. Are we being appreciated and recognized for the work we do actually controls one of those intangible rewards we anticipated having when we joined the profession. Next is breakdown in community. Another actual reward is the collegiality and, and connection that we get with people. And yet that's harder and harder these days for multiple reasons. Oftentimes, even when we're together in a room, we're interacting with our technology instead of each other. Uh, next is absence of fairness, uh, there, which is at both a micro and a macro level. At the macro level, most of us, when we signed up for this profession, recognized we'd be making sacrifices. We didn't expect to make those sacrifices and end up in the situations we're in now. It really feels like there's been a bait and switch mm -hmm. and what's happened is, is in some sense unfair. But also at the micro level, within any unit that you work in, there's a risk for unfairness. Uh, either being judged not based on the contribution of your, uh, the quality of your contributions, but on things you have no control over, such as gender, race, country of origin, sexual orientation, uh, in ways that um, there's there's a lot more uh, unexplained favoritism than actual um, quality in how someone is treated appropriately. And then lastly, conflicting values. Do your values align with the values of your organization? Or have you had to witness or, or even participate in activities that actually violate your values? But uh, as you know, during the pandemic, the demand was so high compared to the capacity we had to provide great care. Oftentimes, we were forced into situations where less than good care was being delivered, and we could not do anything more about that. Um, there's also multiple issues happening around uh, value conflicts. As we've seen new business models come into healthcare, uh, where um, some of some of those business models are far more focused on profit than they are on uh, actual quality of care. And that's driving a lot of uh, distress. In fact, moral distress, a lot of it is tied to this issue of conflicting values. Those five drivers that drive cynicism also have the opportunity to really drive in, uh, empowerment and alignment uh, of everyone in the organization to drive great engagement. They really have to do with how we lead and manage. So from there, I'll hand it over to Bruce. That's a great summary, Paul. Thanks for, for setting that up. For, because, yeah, I want to return to your question and say that first driver, exhaustion, leadership can certainly uh, play a role there by uh, efforts to remediate or optimize the electronic health record. And as Paul mentioned, the judicial AI enabled technologies, um, flexible scheduling, these are all things that can can help reduce exhaustion. Um, so there's a role for leaders there. But the other five drivers that Paul enumerated are almost entirely within the province of leadership. How you run the organization, how decisions are made, how capital is allocated, how deeply connected or not is for the senior leaders to the front lines. And that's really what we're trying to do is to elevate their, I think, general awareness about physical exhaustion, mm -hmm. how that is a burnout. And I think most organizations are taking appropriate steps to try to reduce that. Um, what we're trying to do is, um, in addition to flagging that as a key area, is to point to the other five drivers and say that really is squarely within 
purview of leadership. Mm. Leadership practices and organizational culture, and that is, uh, that can be inflected uh, largely, maybe not entirely, but largely by Oh, okay. And Bruce, and just so y'all know, Bruce is, it doesn't have the best internet service today. So he's actually on a landline calling in. We're very glad to have him today, though. So thank you for being here. Um, so Bruce, you cut out at the very end of what you were saying, but I think the gist is that what you and Paul are really trying to drive home in terms of messaging is that, you know, the other five drivers of burnout that Maslach talks about is really related in, in, and interconnected with leadership and the role that leadership plays in healthcare today. And if leaders can understand how those drivers are intricately connected to leadership, I think that they would have a better understanding of how to like maybe impact the healthcare system, make some system changes. And so that awareness piece you were talking about at the very end. Absolutely right. That's that's a, a good recap, Katie. Okay. So it what we're trying to do is increase the awareness on the part of senior leaders about their role in addressing all six of the drivers, but especially the five that are probably not as well understood about their connection to uh, the role of leadership and of uh, organizational culture. Mm -hmm. One of the things I like to say is, is, is you know, I practice family, I practice family medicine for 25 years. As a family doctor, I wanted the empowerment to fix things that were wrong in my office. You know, I, and uh, in fact, I got into leadership roles because I spoke up trying to fix things and that led me down that path. Um, when I became CEO of a group with 300 physicians in it, the thought of all 300 of those doctors individually empowered to pursue improvements the way they each decided they needed to, um, that scared me that we would fall apart from entropy. And it's very tempting in, these, in, in my situation and in every leader situation, because we're under so much pressure to perform, to go into a top-down command and control management approach. We've got, we've got deliverables we need to achieve, and the most direct way it seems to achieve them is to you know, tell people, this is what you were supposed to do, this is what you're supposed to do, you know, let's get on, get on with it and let's, let's accomplish these goals. Uh, the challenge is, that it rarely works, particularly with knowledge workers like doctors and nurses, mm -hmm. where we innovate all day long, we have good ideas about how to fix things, and we need a way to implement those ideas um, in, in such a way that it's all serving the good of the organization overall and therefore serving our patients well. And, and so it, it, we can't succeed with top-down command and control, no matter how great the pressure is to do that. And I've been there, I've, believe me, I've I've, I've made that mistake. That's um, more a matter of figuring out how do we empower people and align them together. And those five drivers, control, reward, community, fairness, and values, really speak to that. Mm. Um, so I'm curious, you know, a question to both of you, you know, with your new uh, consulting partnership, how how do you approach hospital leadership in terms of helping them understand the importance of systemic change at that level? Well, Bruce, it looks like you're waiting, so I will jump in. <laughs> That's a tough question, uh, Katie. But there's it's actually there's 
Well, you you excel at it. You both of you do. So oh, that's why I want to ask this question because you know that's what I get all the time. You know, from my audience and especially physicians in leadership roles, they they yeah. want to know how best to approach leadership and and how to start creating having some of those conversations to create understanding um, and possibly return on investment for employee well being. Yeah. Well, I, so there's there's a variety of. I think key issues to really be successful with this. Uh, one is uh, we've talked about already starting with empathy. Uh, you know that leaders are suffering as well, and um, and as much as it's tempting, certainly when I was practicing as a physician primarily, it was easy for me to get mad at administration and think that they're the ones. You know what's what's wrong with these people? Where'd they come up with these crazy ideas? Um, and that was never it, it was never productive. It was maybe cathartic, but it was never productive. Um, and then recognizing um, from there, really understanding if we're going to help somebody, we've got to help them with the problems that are most important to them. And in fact, the challenges many leaders are seeing these days have to do with a, a deeply challenging financial situation where, uh, where uh, revenues are being outstripped by expenses along a whole array of different categories. And so it's a, the challenge of maintaining the margin just to keep the doors open and the lights on, to have the margin we need in order to pursue our mission is key. And we can't approach burnout without a deep awareness of that. In fact, we worry, I worry when people come in and say, well, okay, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll reduce workload to reduce that exhaustion and, and work overload. So we'll cut back on the number of patients people are seeing, give them hours a day to work on their in-basket or whatever. Um, and then at the same time, spend money on well-being support. Uh, we're not helping the margin. We're hurting the margin. No organization succeeds by reducing their revenues and increasing their expenses. So we've got to find a different way to approach this in order to be viable. Um, and then the second is to be able to maneuver that fine line of giving people, the frontline people, more control without having everything spin out of control and uh, working through a process that aligns people well. And there's a number of different approaches we take to do that. Well, I would add that, uh, one, as I mentioned, uh, you know, everyone is, is aware that health, uh, the burnout is endemic in healthcare. Uh, no, no hospital leadership team needs us to tell them that. Uh, they're also keenly aware that re staff recruitment and retention uh, has become a, a huge challenge for organizations. This, along with margin deterioration that Paul alluded to, and uh, you know, obviously the two are interrelated. If 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 organization is unable to recruit and retain staff. Can't deliver services. If it can't deliver services, it, it can't generate revenue. If it can't revenue, it can't possibly have a margin. And so I think part of what we're trying to do is, um, though we are particularly concerned about reducing burnout, we're, we're also sympathetic to uh, challenges that hospital leaders are facing in these other spheres, and we're trying to make the linkage for them that to the extent that they really focus on recruitment and retention strategies, it will help the bottom line and it will help reduce burnout. There's specific measures that we 
we often recommend that lead to this kind of alignment and empowerment that Paul described. And as that increasingly occurs in an organization, it becomes a tremendous uh, means or a galvanizing agent for people to want to stay because they they feel empowered, they feel that they're being listened to, mm-hmm. the work has um, you know, one of, I think we are always struck that uh, too often healthcare executives may assume that if we just provide bonuses uh, or we need to increase the salaries of staff, that that alone will solve the burnout problem or it will solve the re- recruitment and retention issues. And we strongly disagree. It's not that pay is unimportant or that benefits are unimportant. Um, and they may be particularly important in terms of bringing someone, attracting them new to an organization, but getting them to stay really a function of, of the work environment and the relationship that person feels with his or her manager, whether they feel their work is being recognized, whether it has meaning, value, whether they're able to apply the full measure of their training and professional judgment. And as Paul said at the outset, uh, it's almost undoable right now because of all these problems, process problems, structural problems in the work environment. But there are solutions for those problems. So to the extent that those solutions are applied conscientiously, assiduously over a period of time, there will be improvements in the work environment. And that in turn gives rise to much greater retention staff organization becoming recognized as a preferred employer and that in turn uh, you know builds financial support for that work as well mm-hmm. so these are not discrete and unrelated activities our point is that they're it's really all one gestalt mm-hmm. uh, I think the other thing I'd say is those solutions I'd like to talk about some of them um, because what we found is We'll present this to people and they'll say, oh, yeah, we already do that. We already do this. And in fact, they've been doing something similar or something named like what we recommend, but they're not doing it in the ways that actually bring the most benefit. So it's it's kind of missing an opportunity uh, for an investment of the executive's time that can really change dramatically the return that's that that is derived from that investment of their time. This is not investment of money. This is investment of time. And if we're gonna really make a difference, we've got to invest, uh, executives investing themselves in this work um, is key. Uh, some of those are, one is rounding. Um, you know, we talk about rounding and every and all, there's hardly an executive that wouldn't say, oh yeah, I do rounds, I, I go check things out. But most rounding is done at such a superficial level that it's not beneficial. If the team's walking around the hallways asking people how things are going, you might occasionally get um, honesty from people when you ask them that question, but uh, many people, certainly my experience, if I was half an hour behind in my schedule and a, an executive was walking down the hall and was gonna ask me as a family doc, how's it going? I had two choices. One was to lie and try to stay on schedule and the other was to tell them the truth, but be an hour further behind because we got into a deep discussion. So that doesn't, you're not seeing the reality when you round in that way. Wow, um, great point. As opposed to rounding by shadowing clinicians while they're working, shadow a doctor, a nurse, even a receptionist to see what's the impact of the decisions you've made with a committee sitting in a conference room 
looking at reports and spreadsheets about how operations should be run, and then go out to the front lines and actually see the impact on those operations and what is undoable about the jobs, the way that they've ended up being designed. Um, you know, executives are still, we're, we're dealing with issues like reg regulatory demands that often in times become conflicting with each other, and we're still trying to figure out how to do that. Well, the people on the front lines have some great ideas about how to do that if we engage with them and see the challenges that they're having to do that. Um, another approach is to listen really intently um, by having meetings with frontline physicians on a regular basis uh, and frontline nurses as, and as well, frontline staff. Um, not, not ones where you have the department chairs sit once a month or once a quarter in a meeting to hear from them what they think you know, is happening at the front lines, but actually invite people who are on the front lines to, and, and ask the question, what can I do, what do I, or what do I need to know in order to help you do your job better? Uh, it's very rare for somebody on the front lines to hear that question asked by someone in senior leadership. And yet most people on the front lines welcome that opportunity uh, to be able to share their concerns. So it's a, it's a very different approach. Um, another one are daily huddles. You know, so many places have huddles. Uh, but in fact, those huddles are missing great opportunities. They've often become, you know, very um, tactical and, um, and and almost routine and rote to the point where people are not that engaged during the huddles because it's something we're supposed to do. So, you know, and, and go around the room, ask people any, any issues, any issues, any issues. It's no, 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 no. Nothing's being brought up. And yet we know things are going wrong in, in the situations. What we'd like to see in a daily huddle are a few components that actually address the drivers of burnout. If we start the huddle with appreciation for something somebody else did for some member of the team uh, the day before, it's a, it's a specific, it recognizes people, it actually re addresses that insufficient reward component of burnout, the driver, because they're being appreciated for what they've done and it helps build community. Uh, next is to look at, the, uh, assess the capacity we have today compared to the demand that's coming at us. What's the census or the schedule compared to our staffing equipment and supplies? Often we don't have the um, so we don't have the supply to meet that demand, but we'll know that we're um, we'll know that at the start of the day, so we can build contingencies into it to manage it better. Next, we'd like to look at, at, at metrics. The same, not the exact metrics that are on the system scorecard or dashboard but an operational metric that's at the front line that drives the result that shows up on that system level board and work on those. Uh, and in fact, um, you know, when they're on track to where we were looking for, great. If they're not, then we have some work to do to help solve that problem and understand that. So problem solving is the fourth component. And there, it's not only those metric performance problems, but there's also little things that went wrong the day before that drive you crazy. Uh, we call them pebbles in your shoe, you know, the, the printer's out of paper, you open a drawer, what you need is not there, you can't find a wheelchair anywhere on the unit, no matter how hard you look. Um, those things uh, are, are problems that drive people crazy, but they just forget to bring them up as a problem that happened at the huddle. If you, if you can put a quick note on the huddle board at the moment that it happens, then the next morning the team can come together and decide collectively, is this something we all want to work on? If so, who's going to do it and how do we make a difference? And over time, 
gradually remove more of those pebbles from your shoes. Mm -hmm. uh, so this approach of huddling takes training. Uh, it takes training for the managers to understand how to do it better. There's a few other components that make a difference in, in there as well, particularly for developing and helping the managers understand their role because middle managers, if we're going to compare who's most burned out, middle managers probably win the award. Actually, we just don't mention it as often. Um, but those are kind of, those are at a high level, the techniques that make a difference. Um, it's, but with, it's very, it's, it's easy to talk about them. It's a challenge to implement them fully and effectively. But when we do, we find tremendous pull from both leadership and frontline people to be able to implement these things well, because they do make a difference. They do. And, you know, Paula, thank you so much for going into detail about the daily huddle and, and how you guys coach on how to implement uh, more of a deeper, deeper level of operations for that. And I just I think it's really important to mention that, you know, you actually I lost my train of thought where I was going with that. <laughs> you did such a good job. Let, on me, the let, me, let me jump in. There's one other thing I didn't mention, which I think is, yeah. is it's it's important. It's an important concept. Um, you know, with those daily huddles, what we'd like to then recommend are a set of tiered huddles mm. where the supervisor of, the, of that unit huddles with managers, directors, directors huddle with VPs and C-suite. Mm. Um, that people will look at that and say, well, that's great, but, you know, that's too hot. That's too hard for us to do in our organization. And I'll just point to the fact that everybody actually was doing that three years ago when the, when the um, pandemic first hit and everybody started holding command center meetings two or three times a day because there were problems cropping up on the front lines that were life-threatening. People were finding solutions, needing supplies and support, and that the senior leadership teams came together to hear what was wrong on the front lines and make sure that the front lines were getting the help they needed. If there was a problem solved on the front line, that got in one unit, it got communicated to all of the units in that way. People got engaged in this work when there was a crisis. Now we're at a point where people are still saying there's a crisis. You know, we don't have the we, we don't have the finances to keep the doors open and the lights on, and we're laying people off and we're short staffed. But we're not. Most places are not approaching it with a level of intensity that it deserves, and that we proved we can do. It's not as though we're trying to say we you know we've never done this before. We've done it. We just have quickly forgotten that this approach to leadership actually can make a difference for those organizations that are willing to engage in it. And those that do are gonna develop that organizational resilience to whether whatever changes are happening in the ecosystem around us. Well, and, and I remember, what I was, oh, sorry, go ahead, Bruce. Well, I was just gonna to add to something Paul said that uh, as he points out during the pandemic, virtually every hospital stood up these command centers and they were uh, above all else problem focused um, they were not performative they were problem focused not performative and as Paul went through uh, talking about how talk to any manager middle manager or senior manager around the country they would say oh yes I do rounding uh, but often the rounding is as Paul said is is uh, kind of superficial, hi, how are you? Uh, just, you know, out here a little management visibility. It, in other words, it's performative, mm -hmm. not up-focused. Mm -hmm. um, differently, one of the things that we really try to create 
this there's a German word for it, and I, I, I apologize for any German speakers listening in on this. I believe the word is called Verstehen. It means there's not there's not a word in English that exactly matches up, but it, it means uh, a level of profound understanding, a level of profound understanding. So uh, something like the command centers, that was all about profound understanding. We have a problem. We have to come up with a solution. We need to act on that. We can't take you know 30 days and five different committees to come up with a solution. It needs to happen now. Mm-hmm. That kind of action-oriented problem solving is really what we're trying to fill is uh, less performative and and more focused on uh, engagement that leads to uh, problem solving. And because the, the faster and the more effective the problem solving with the issues that bedevil frontline staff, more engagement, better the retention, mm-hmm. and the less the burn. Absolutely. And I remember what I was going to say, actually, what I took away from this, this uh, part of the discussion is that really it comes down to a more of a commitment to listening and understanding. And it doesn't have to be a big financial commitment to implement the daily huddle. There is some training and things involved. But if leadership is willing to listen and to be open-minded about a different approach to the daily huddle, for instance, that would be more of a time and energy commitment versus a financial commitment in the beginning is is kind of where I was going with that. Um, And I think that's important because what I've heard from some key healthcare leaders is that, you know, when they start hearing about well-being initiatives, they immediate, their brain immediately goes to, oh my gosh, the bottom line and the margin and return on investment. And it's just such an overwhelming process. But when you bring up this example of just implementing a, di- a different level of and a deeper understanding of the daily huddle, I think that changes the game. Yeah. You know, Katie, that's a, I thank you for bringing that point up. Because one of the other pushback we get, not just from leaders, but actually from physicians, is wait, is this argument about the huddle taking 15 minutes out of the day? Uh, they and physicians will say, look, on one hand, you're telling me I need to be more productive. On the other hand, you're telling me I need to attend this huddle that's going to occupy the time I could be seeing a patient. So which is it? Do you want me to see more patients or do you want me to be more productive? Mm-hmm. Because you can't have both. And in fact, you can have both sites that do these huddles effectively actually are more productive because when you step back and look at the day, so many days end up with holes in schedules or um, or failure to be able to turn over a room more quickly um, because things are not organized. And so that 15 minutes at the start of the day actually returns on investment far more than the one slot of time that is uh, that it occupies that could be otherwise quotes productive. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, I know I, I know that we need to get you know wrapping things up, but I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to leave any last key message for the audience today and, and any healthcare leaders that are tuning into this podcast. Yeah. Well, if this is interesting to you. Um, there's a there's certainly ways you can find us. Um, we're through, organizational well-being solutions is the name of our organization, 
Uh, it's got, uh, we have a, a website that's literally www.organizationalwellbeingsolutions.com. We apologize for how long it is, but you only really have to do it once and then it'll be in your browser memory. Um, we also are on LinkedIn with our organization now, and each of us are available through our, our um, email address at the website, uh, which is either, you know, for myself, it's paul at organizationalwellbeingsolutions.com. For Bruce, obviously, it's Bruce at organizationwellbeingsolutions.com. Uh, and you can also, if you go there, you'll see a book appointment button that takes you into a Calendly that you can schedule time to talk with us if you'd like to. And for anyone listening today, I will have all that information on the website under each of their on their bio page for the podcast today. Bruce, is there any last message you wanted to leave with the audience today? Paul's covered it really well. We we enjoy the work we do. We really are trying to, uh, you know, we we're we're not starting our careers. We're stages <laughs> of our career. I think for both of us, uh, what really drives us is is a genuine interest in helping to create better care, better work environment, and at the risk of sounding grandiose, actually transform the way healthcare organizations. Run and to the extent that we can make an impact uh, in doing that and show a better way uh, that, that results in, in better care, more staff retention, less burnout, then we'll have considered this venture to have been very successful. Hmm. Well, I have to say, if anyone can be successful at helping to transform healthcare, it's both of you because I've been watching you over the past couple of years and what you've been doing in your own consulting work. So, you know, I look forward to hearing more success stories down the road and have you having you guys back on the podcast again to chat. Thanks, Katie. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. And again, I'll have all this information posted and we will also be posting on LinkedIn. So you'll have all of the information. And I think there was a couple of articles quoted today that I'll make sure is available on the website. Thank you all and have a great rest of your week.